Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. Here, this is the spot where the conversations are pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Did you bring your thinking caps? Because it's time to put them on. Because the conversation starts Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. You at the location. You're at the spot where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. And today we have Heather Asiambi. Good job. You know what? She's the editor of children's books. Now, we've had a lot of editors on there. And I want to talk to her about her experience because I tried to, well, I take that back. I did write a very successful children's book, but it was for ages between nine and 13, Mm -hmm. and it was a workbook. But, you know, I thought about writing a children's book for maybe three or four-year-olds. That can be tough. You got to make it rhyme. You got to make it interesting. You got to have good illustration. So we're going to ask about that. And then how do you edit, you know, uh, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish? (laughs) How do you edit something like that? So, Brains, help me welcome her to the edge, Heather Ambianzi. Asiambi. Asiambi. I almost had it. I almost had 100 points. That's okay. All right. Thank it's you so much, baby, and welcome to the edge. How are you? you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. It's so nice to be here and finally with you. I know we talked months ago, and your schedule is packed, ma'am. So, I know. I'm, I'm excited. What? I'm always going to make make room for some brains. That's right. I like that. <laughs> That patch of purple, what's that saying to me? What's that saying? So uh, I was actually just kind of bored, right? And I was trying to figure uh-huh. out like what color would go decently. And so purple was it. I tried blue and blue was okay, but I like the purple better. And then I started watching, um, you know, the TikTok started getting more popular and I've been spending way too much time on TikTok. And uh, I've noticed that a lot of Gen X women now have purple hair. I don't know if it was like something floating through the air that hit all of our brains or something, but I don't know. Uh, did I do purple? I think I got a, I got a wig. Okay. Uh, I call them hair options with some hair purple, options. You know? I like that. Mm-hmm. And do you remember Kelly Osborne a few years yeah. ago? She turned people on the gray. I mean, people were falling out about the gray hair color. That can be very beautiful, right? Yeah. But I'm not willing. I'm not ready to go there yet. <laughs> I'm not ready to go there yet. So. So I can tell that you are uh, whimsical, that you're fun. How did you become an editor for children's books? Uh, It was kind of accidental, honestly. Um, I spent the most of my career in journalism, marketing, and public relations. Um, Sometimes all at the same time, depending on like what my day job was and what my freelance gig was doing. Um, And then in the uh, summer of 2020, when everybody was locked down and stuck in the house forever, um, I was working in the marketing department of a law firm. And I honestly used to wake up every morning and be like, dear God, please don't let the law firm exist anymore. And please don't let the law firm exist anymore. And of course it still was there. Um, So a couple of friends told me, you know what, you've been talking about starting a business for a really long time and you have wanted to get out of writing. You really like doing editing, just get it done. And so I did. And the first children's books I edited um, were from this. Uh, so her name is Shelly Karen and she has her books are on Amazon. Her books actually do rhyme. And rhyming to me is an amazing skill. I am 
blown away by authors who can rhyme because I do not possess that skill. It is, I'm, yeah, it would be very sad if I tried. Um, But, and at the time, and this is what I think makes her even more incredible is that she didn't own a computer. So she wrote her books on her phone. Oh my goodness. I know. So she's writing rhymes, like couplets, rhyming couplets on her phone, which is incredible. Um, So I just kind of fell into it, but um, I really love it. Like, I really love it. And the reason why is, uh, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, I think that uh, the way self-publishing and indie publishing has come about um, has really opened the floodgates for representation in children's literature, which was severely lacking before. When you have these great publishing houses as the gate gatekeepers to what books end up on shelves, they're really kind of dictating what we can read and what we can't read, right? Like, and what we read to our children and what our children learn to read. So by, by opening this up, um, this market up through Indian self-publishing, all these, all these authors who have really great ideas for stories who probably would, would have been ignored by traditional publishing houses now get their books out there. So I work predominantly with indie authors and indie publishers um, a lot for that reason. Uh, But number two, I also love it um, because there seems to be no shortage of story ideas and the way that the stories are being told, which I think is amazing. Um, I work with a a woman who, and, that, and I don't know that her backstory really counts towards like her stories, but it's just interesting to me that she spends half her time in the U.S. and half her time in Ireland. Um, and then she writes on the plane going back and forth. Oh, wow. Yeah. And her story. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing because, again, creativity. Yeah. And you know, one of my favorite books kind of written in a childlike manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, how um, what is it? Uh, what is the name of it? Uh who moves my cheese? Have you ever read that business book? Oh yeah, yep. The Who Moved My Cheese story with the the mice in the maze, and the it's really more business. The maze. And you know, yeah. I'm saying that they took the most simplistic premise mm-hmm. and turned it into a business model masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, for and sure. I encourage writers, you know, not even with the the children's books, because you have to have a certain kind of creativity to mm-hmm. keep their attention. Yeah, short and sweet, a mm-hmm. lot of colorful pictures, but you can really build the vocabulary. You need to change your voice brains when you read to the the children. You have to get you into do. character. Mm-hmm. Children will remember that five or ten minutes as they sat in your lap every day, every week, and learn yeah. how to read. Yeah, well, and children who um, experience reading before they go to kindergarten, their vocabulary is like would I read a statistic like three to five times greater than children who are not read to on a daily basis. So, you know, if you think about that and you think about how powerful words and language are in, in that sense, um, you know, then, then the editing gains even deeper significance. Um, you know, and then there, of course, there is a, a huge difference in how, um, like a made up story, a fiction story for children is edited than something that's, you know, trying to teach kids about money, right? Like 
one okay. penny plus oh, wait, wait, wait. one. So, so go so go into that for a minute. Okay. Uh, what what kind of you know what would be the quirks and twerks in uh, editing for a children's book? So the premises are the same in many respects as they are to editing an adult book. If it's a fiction story, it needs the same type of trajectory that an adult story takes. It needs a beginning, a middle, and an end. There needs to be a conflict and a resolution. Now, because we're dealing with children's literature, and, and I'm talking, you know, like you were saying earlier for young readers, right? Like maybe three to six years old. Um, these are kids who are being read to by their parents and then perhaps reading to their parents the same books that had been read to them, right? So the the, the books are the same, um, but they still need to to contain these elements. Um, they're, but they're simpler. So uh, maybe um, there's a child who uh, has a teddy bear, when the story is told from the teddy bear standpoint. This teddy right. bear is lonely when the child goes to school every day, and maybe during the day the teddy bear comes to life right like this oh well you know like when kids go like their stuffed animals have a life right they have an inner dialogue they are fully realized characters they have well look at at how much money toy story made okay right great point right so in a but but in a picture book you're talking about like what 10 to 16 pages tops right so how do you encapsulate a full story trajectory where we're in the beginning, there's a middle, there's an end, and somewhere in the in there is a conflict and a resolution. But we understand who these characters are from the very beginning without needing a lot of exposition, right? So, um, you know, the bear, the bear is happy when her person is there. The bear is sad when their person goes to school. While the person is at school, what is the conflict and resolution for the bear that has to happen and get resolved? Maybe um, they knock over a teacup or uh, they pick up a pen and, and make a mark on the table or, you know, something, right? Like they have to figure out how to solve that problem. Right. And then the total resolution comes the end when the person, when their person comes home, when their child comes home and picks them up and hugs them again, because the child is happy to see their bear, right? So the, the story elements are no less important in a children's book than they are in an adult fiction book. Mm-hmm. They're just boiled down to a, a much simpler level, but that doesn't that mean me, any less rich. That's, that's very rich information. That makes me want to write a children's book. That was <laughs> I mean, really, that was five amazing takeaways, a beginning, a middle, an end, Mm -hmm. a conflict, and a resolution. Yeah, you have to have those. And the characters have to be fully realized, right? Right, So, um, you know, I always say when I'm talking with a children's author and I say, you know, do you have, do you have an illustrator yet? It's one of the first questions I ask. And they say, oh, no, you know, I haven't really even like considered it, you know, and I say, okay, well, here's what you need to know when you're when you're writing, if you haven't started writing your book, here's what you need to know when you're going into it. Your characters, you have to know exactly what they look like. What are they wearing? Mm. What, what is the, if, you, if it's set in school, what does school look like? What are, what is the classroom made up of? Is it a diverse classroom? Is it, 
not? Is it a brick building? Do they do class outside? Like where, where is it taking place? Everything has to be fully realized in your mind so that you can provide the description that the illustrator will follow to create um, the, the images that tell the majority of your story. Because when you're dealing with young readers, the illustrations do the heavy lifting. They do. They so, do. Because you know how the teacher used to always hold a book a certain kind of exactly. way and, mm-hmm. you know, pan what do you think is, oh, side, right? right. Or they'll say, well, Jack, Jack is standing at the bottom of the beanstalk. What do you think Jack is thinking? Right. Right, you right. You think Jack is going to climb the beans? Like, right? They they ask and all questions. of that is a part of the comprehension and learning how to understand the story. Exactly. I grew up with some with a little bit of dyslexia, so I couldn't hear the cut, cut, but, but, da, da. You know, mm-hmm. it was a challenge for me to sure. you know get spelling mm-hmm. sometimes because I would transpose my letters. A lot of times, parents cannot recognize the signs. Children can be very disruptive in the classroom because they could have a reading challenge. Mm-hmm. Other kids are reading faster. They're stronger. Uh, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And, and, so and, and, to, and, and to your point, remember when we were in school, we had a nurse who would do eye exams, right? We would get like, you know, Miss Johnson's second grade class on Tuesday would go, we'd all go get our eyes checked. Yeah. And then that allowed... A, you know, certain vision issues to get caught ahead of time. I've been wearing glasses since I was in second grade because I couldn't see the blackboard. Now, had we not had that vision testing in school, would we, who knows when that would have been discovered, right? Like My daughter, this is what she told me when she needed glasses. She says, you know, mommy, sometimes in the classroom, I feel like that little Tweety bird that always circles around when the cat gets hit and hit in the head. Yeah. And I thought and thought and thought, and I said, my God, my baby's vision is bad, or maybe she's dizzy. Yeah. That's the yeah, only way. Headaches. Yeah. Get headaches from bad vision. Yes, absolutely. So, it, you know, it can be a struggle. So now, what are some of the fun things that, you know, uh, children's authors are writing about? Are they writing about environmental issues? Are they writing about anti-bullying? Are they uh, writing about you know, relationships. What what do you find is, you know, pretty popular? Not the answer common, to all of that popular. is yes. <laughs> the answer to all of that is yes. And that is the beauty of the children's literature market now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have uh you have board you have board books, you know, for like uh two-year-old, two to two to four year olds that are talking about the different mm-hmm. kinds of families that exist. You know, you have. Oh, um, yeah, right, right. You know, because it's a different. It's different now. You know, correct. It's well, not just a mom and a dad. No, and it's socially acceptable. So we have to educate our children so mm-hmm. that when they go to school, they'll be able to have that conversation as to why they have two mommies or they have, you know, two daddies. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. And and a lot of what we're seeing too is authors who are writing about multi generation multi generational living, right? So they they live there, their parents live there, and their grandparents live there. Right. So they have more than one generation under under the roof. And a lot of times we find that um, to in families who have um, ancestral ties or ancestral roots in in um, Latin American and Caribbean and uh, countries, as well as African countries. Right. So 
there's a whole different way that Europeans and white Americans live than the rest of the world. And so, you know, so those stories are being told. Um, we also see a lot of um, children of, you know, every skin tone um, under the sun is now represented, but so are varying degrees of ability. So we have- That's what I was gonna talk about, you know, and that's yeah. really a beautiful thing, uh, beautiful. writing about, you know, children that might be in a wheelchair or that have autism or- mm -hmm. Or know, hearing, uh, or, or they're, they're hearing impaired or they have vision impairments right. or, you know, they were, um, they were born perhaps with a condition that's not visible. Like you, you, if you see this child on a playground, you might not know that they have an issue mm. only to come to find out they're like a, a friend of mine's daughter has sickle cell. Right. But you look at, you look at her, you would never know. Right. You would never uh, know, right, right. but that's a very real issue that's being that's dealt with. That's you know, And you know, children's literature is not cheap. No, it's not, and, you know, and that's one thing parents will buy a children's book and you better believe that they put it on the shelf. Don't get a marker and write in the book. That's not what we do. We protect and we and honor literature. Yeah. You know what I used to love too. I used to love this right here. When you would have the audio version <laughs> and the book, it would help you go along and you'd mm -hmm. hear the little ding. It's time to turn the page. Turn the page. <laughs> it, was, it was all. And then also, what is that? A uh, reading rabbit. Yeah. Magazine that used to come out in school. Yeah. I'm really hoping that parents encourage their children to read more. It is mm -hmm. such a gift. It will transport you. It will open your creativity. It will open your mind. And it's a way of telling stories. Yeah. If you have something that's going on with you, if you're being bullied, if you're, you know, trying to mm -hmm. find out your sexual identity, if you are, you know. What if you're transracially adopted, right? Like right. coming to terms with that, like trying to figure out, you know, why do I not look like my parents? Every, all my friends all look like their parents. Why don't I look like my parents? Or, um, you know, a, a, a theme too is when children become siblings for the first time, right? right, right. Whether through that's birth or adoption, you know, foster care, whatever it is, like all of these stories are now out in the world, which is making, um, it's just, it's, it's kind of, it's it goes back to what you said right when you open a book you can travel the world without ever leaving home right it, it opens your imagination right. you know you you're seeing all of these things in different ways you're you're meeting people that you never would have otherwise had the opportunity to meet and it's all because you opened a book and i've you know one of the things that like you said about respecting literature i have two grandchildren and i'm like the bookshelf for them is crazy full. Let's oh get, yeah, but oh, I'm and you love and they love it. And, and I just keep back. adding more. I just keep adding I more. Can go over to my bookshelf right now and find uh, some books that I had. Again, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. I don't care what you say. Doctor Seuss was the best. Yes, he I absolutely loved, was. I loved peanuts. You know, <laughs> yeah, because it made because the cartoon. Mm -hmm. you know, it, mm -hmm. it made you kind of learn to follow a theme or follow a story or a script. So there's yeah. a lot of great writers now. Mm -hmm. um, if you weren't a proof and pen editor, what would you be? Oh, uh, um, 
I wanted to be a surgeon when I was growing up, but um, I am good at math, but it's not something I like to do. And so like going into chemistry and physics and all that, like I was like, oh, no. Um, but the but the human body is an amazing machine. And I love the, I, I, I really enjoy learning more about that. But if I was not editing, I, uh, ooh, uh, mm. I don't know. I see. I think I've always done something with writing, right? Like I've always been in the writing space. I've always been in. An have you ever written a children's book yourself? Uh, n- no, I have not. But uh, my my cat uh, has his own TikTok channel, and I was recently told wow. by a children's author, book author, that he needs to have his own book series because, and I quote. He is a trip. <laughs> so. well, maybe he's a trip that's worth the gas, something to look into. So you, you mentioned TikTok a couple times. You know, TikTok mm-hmm. is a beast within itself. Yes. And I was talking to my granddaughters and they said, you know what, Nona? Uh, we only want information in bite-sized pieces. Yeah. We don't want a whole lot. And they will be on that cotton picking TikTok to the point where I have to take it away. No, oh, uh, you should be in my house to take mine away, truly. It's easy to get lost in. How, why, why, how do you find it so fascinating? So like any algorithm for the, for the social media channels, they, they, uh, they can measure where you spend your time. So if on this video, I only spend a second, but on this video, I said, I spend 15 seconds. They're going to serve more of the video that I spend more time with. Um, I, I'm, I'm amazed at the creativity of people and what they come up with for like what what they focus on on tiktok so there's this one there's this one woman she's just a storyteller but they're not her stories people send them to her and then she pulls them which i'm like wow okay that's that's interesting um i I come across this woman and i had never encountered her before um she does tarot card readings and she's and, and she has this like really calming voice where it mm. <laughs> you know you're like just feel instantly like <sighs> right Calm. you know Calm. when you're listening to her um and then there's just people who are hilarious yeah they're I mean they're funny they they do parody of songs and yeah movies and skits and you know you have a little bit of everything and it turned political it turned mm-hmm. as social activists. I mean, some of the things that they did in that last administration, how they rallied together to the mm-hmm. point where they wanted to shut down TikTok is yep. amazing. It is amazing. amazing. And I think too that um, in a lot of times, you know, social media gets a bum rap for good reason in a lot of times. But what I think is um, not utilized enough or not recognized enough is that we can reach people. You know, we can... Um, you can use a TikTok channel to tell your children's story, right? You can hold up your book and you can read it aloud to people, you know, and, and for some people that might be enough for other people. They're going to say, I need that book on my bookshelf for my child, for my grandchild. How do I get it? Where can I buy your book? You know, they're going to TikTok still limited to like, you know, a minute or two minutes or you can just really, I don't know. I don't, I honestly, I, I don't know. Some of them I have seen that are longer. I think they allow up to 10 minutes mm, on some wow. cases, but I'm not That's really sure how they decide that. 
All right, let's ask some more fun questions. Okay. If you were an appliance in the kitchen, what appliance would you be? The coffee maker. Why? Um, because I don't do caffeine. Um, but coffee for me, I enjoy the taste of coffee. And coffee is um, part of a morning ritual that kind of allows you to take a breath before you dig into the day. Absolutely. I, I agree. I'd be the refrigerator. Okay, why? I just want to chill. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> if you were a flower in the garden, what flower would you be? A peony. A pe oh, yes, they're pretty. I love them. They're beautiful. I'd be a gladiola. Okay. I, I like the peonies because um, they're big and showy, but only for like a brief amount of time, right? Like right. you have to appreciate them when they're blooming and then they're gone and yet they leave behind this beautiful green bush you know that that provides you know this nice beauty uh in the warmer weather i where i live we only get like four and a half months of nice weather a year so like wow. okay we now where are you at again wisconsin wisconsin mm -hmm. is the cheese really good in wisconsin girl yes yes Yes. Really? You're okay. in California, right? I'm in California. Okay, so I'm just going to put it out there. Controversial, I know. But all those commercials I see about California has happier cows and y'all just make better cheese, lies. Really? All lies. There's nothing... So what like is good about your cheese? Is it sharp? Is it robust? Is it creamy? What's, what's unique about Wisconsin cheese? Well, it really depends on what kind you want. Are you, okay. do you want a sharp cheddar? We've probably got 50 mm. varieties at, at one wow. store. Wow. And then you go to another store and there's going to be another 50 varieties, right? But we have, um, Wisconsin has just been built on a couple of industries that really are embedded in the culture of the state, mm. no matter where you live. I live in Milwaukee. It's a very urban, you know, it's, it's a metropolitan right. area. Um, but even here, though, I have friends who have moved out of Wisconsin and they'll see they'll see like cheese curds, fried cheese curds are a big thing here. Mm. And they'll see fried cheese curds on a menu in another state. And now they what is a fried cheese curd is like a, a fried oh, cheese ball. Ma'am, let me tell you. Yes. <laughs> she had to bring it all together. OK, She's let me tell you. OK, cheese curds are a, a culinary delight um you can eat them without being the being fried and they're just the cheese and if they're squeaky against your teeth then that's better but um if you bread them and then you fry them it is like 19 million times more delicious and then you dip them in ranch dressing of course okay so <laughs> I, you know just to kind of create a parallel it's kind of like a mozzarella stick but better uh, way better uh, no and smaller because you can just pop them in your mouth oh god all right all yeah. right <laughs> so now what if you have a child that's mm -hmm. interested in writing a book how would you coach them you've given us the, the top five you know beginning middle end conflict resolution what other one or two tips would you give to a child because there's a lot of children's authors out there mm-hmm the same advice applies. It doesn't matter who you are, what book you're writing. Okay. It literally doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how old you are. Um, 
I'm uh, hopefully going to be working with a young lady who wrote her first book when she was 12. Mm. Um, and we're working through it right now. Um, you know, it just, it needs some development. And that's, that's what you're, that's what the editor is for, right? Is to try to parse it out and be like, okay, what's our plot? What's our trajectory? What is everybody doing? Um, and there's no difference when you're coming with a child who's writing a children's book. If my granddaughter said, mm. you know, I want to write a book about um, flowers growing in the garden, I'd say, okay. Who's planting the flowers? Is there are there humans in the story? If there's no humans in the story, what kind of flowers are they? Do they have names? Like what? Where do they live? What kind of garden are they in a garden or do they live in the wild? Like are they dandelions growing in a meadow? Like where where do they live? What are they doing? What's well, you're much more uh, excuse me than a pen and proof editor. You're really a book coach. I you know yeah yeah. Because you're giving a lot more content. You're not just, again, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. You're actually giving the cradle to grave service, walking yes. people through the entire process so that they win. So after the editor finishes it, and I tell people all the time, pay for an editor. Say it again. Pay for, pay for an editor. An editor. You, know, you can't go wrong. It's one thing to read the story, have the story in your mind, even do it audibly. But mm -hmm. when you're in print, it has to have a certain format for yep. people, number one, to take you seriously, mm -hmm. for them to talk about it, for them to enjoy it. So it's very, very important that you have an editor to make sure that the words are spelled correctly. You read something in your mind a hundred times and it's automatically fact based upon your perception. Mm -hmm. But we get it in front of somebody like Heather and she red pins it. And also no brains that the red pen is your friend. It makes things better. It's not to criticize you or to dumb you down. It is actually your friend. Wouldn't you agree, Heather? I do. And and so when I'm editing a book, and it doesn't matter if it's a, if it's a children's book author or a, an adult nonfiction author, my approach is is the same. I take care of the technical things, spelling, grammar, punctuation, um, sentence structure, all of that sort of thing, right? That's all the technical stuff. But I also come at it from the viewpoint of a reader. I've been reading, I don't know, forever, since I was very, very small. I love to read. I still love to read. I have a pile of books next to my bed. And then I, my grandkids have piles of books in my house. Um, so I, I also come at it from the viewpoint of a reader. Does the plot make sense? Did you finish your thoughts? Um, does the dialogue go with the person or the character who's speaking the words? You know, so it's a it's a mix of both technical and then from the standpoint of a reader. Um, I do. I've also you know been a reporter forever, a news reporter. So um, I'm like super nosy, so I ask a lot of questions. So if like something doesn't quite fit, or if it seems incomplete or I feel like it might fit better in a different location. I'm going to make that suggestion. I'm going to make a comment. I'll ask a question. I, I just, my goal is to make sure your story is absolutely the best, most well-rounded story that we can make it. Oh. And to your point about an editor, most people, there's a lot of education that needs to be done with indie authors and, and publishers sometimes too. Author, uh, editing rather, is both the most expensive and the most important step in Absolutely. a publishing journey. Absolutely. Because when you, as a consumer, 
you want, when you spend your money on anything, you expect it to be the best for the money that you're spending. And books are no different. You always have to think of your end user throughout your process. So if your end user is spending their money on your book, they expect to get the best product possible in their hands. And best possible means as error-free as possible. So we're all human. We can't catch everything. Even President and Mrs. Obama had errors in their books, right? Because people are doing this. You, you cracked me up when you told me that. You found, yeah, I do. Yeah. And I, I just went through girls. I was like, ah. <laughs> but they're there. They're there. And it's, and it's because we're people, right? And nothing is perfect. Anything we do is never going to be 100% perfect. Mm. But what we're going to do as, you know, if you were writing and I was your editor, our collaboration, we are a partnership. And our goal is to move your book from whether you've written it or not is irrelevant from start to finish and end with the most perfect book possible at the end. And we will know that we're there when every question has been answered, every comment has been resolved and every suggestion has either been integrated or rejected, right? So once we have solved all those issues and we don't have any more notes in the margin, we're done. And you can feel confident, like really confident that you can then take your book to formatting and into publishing and you don't have any worries that way right. because you've, tr you, everybody needs a second set of eyes. I need a second set of eyes all the time, all the and, time. And it's, again, like you said, when people look at you in print, it's a, a very different experience mm -hmm. than when they hear you audibly. Well, yeah. Heather, you have been a wealth of information. Thank I am you. going to run a complete series on editors. I have editors from a spiritual uh, perspective. I have editors that are technical editors for, you know, they have to be super smart because they got to break down technical <laughs> terms into layman's terms. We've got, yeah, that's not we've got you, beautiful soul, that are working with people to entertain and educate and elevate children. And I appreciate, you know, you really kind of picking that genre. I see you just light up when you talk about it. They do. The I love it. You gave us were amazing. Brains, you. Remember, you have to have a beginning, a middle, an end, a conflict, and a resolution. Yes. That's much like life, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell my brains how to get in contact with you, Heather. Uh, so you can visit my website, which is uh, pens and proof. So P E N S and spelled out A N D proof, P R O O F dot com. Uh, or you can email me at heather at pensandproof.com. Brains, pick up a pen and paper. Go back and refer to your old journals. I did that. I found my old diaries when I was a young girl. Some of my favorite books. Literacy is um, it's a lost art. Mm -hmm. Being able to connect with your kids instead of putting them in front of the device. I'm telling you, that little 15 minute, 20 minutes at the end of the day, reading the book, snuggling up, transporting yourself to outer space will do so much for your relationship, your psyche, and your imagination. Thank really you so do. much, Heather. Come back and visit us on the edge. I want to hear your book. I want to hear the book about you and the cat. Sir Walter Payton, His Royal Fatness. Uh, oh, that's <laughs> 
I'm already, I'm already ready for it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we will talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye.